here we go. It was three years and before we didn't get it. Yeah, we started getting it in 2013. There we go. Hello, everyone. Hello. Welcome to I Don't Get It, a podcast about performances in Edmonton. I'm Fonda. I'm Paul. And we are proud to be part of the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB. Fonda, it's the end of the decade. Thank God. <laughs> what a garbage fire. Yeah. Uh, but well, at least this year was. I feel like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, it had its it had its ups and its downs. And, uh, you know, uh, there was also some some great art. Uh, so this is sort of, a, I guess, a special a special episode of I Don't Get It, where we're looking at the decade in review. Yeah, yeah. This is like, you know, a lot of people are doing the year in review, but there's also a lot of decade in review. And so because also... We started this podcast out talking about dance. We're going to do a decade in review of theater and dance. Mm -hmm. So we had to separate our best of lists because I had a whole best of dance list. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. We started this during this decade. What time flies? I was 10 years younger. Things were different. Yes. Newspapers existed. Yeah, really. And you've gone through different beard and mustache incarnations since then. (laughs) And we'll continue to do so into the next decade. And we started out in a humble blanket fort. And look at us now. Now you own a house. I know. <laughs> Weird. Um, great. So uh, let's let's start with the theater lists, I guess. And yeah, yeah. One thing that we we sent each other our lists prior to this, and one thing that was kind of interesting was that our lists were completely different from None each of other. The same for theater, like <laughs> yeah. a little overlap in dance, but just mm-hmm. uh, you know, a combination of I'm I'm sure there's I know there's stuff on your list that I didn't see. Same um, here, yeah. Um, and some stuff that was like, yeah, that was good. Uh, but this, um, as is always, always the way, because uh, you know, theater hits everyone differently, and yeah. you know, yeah, certain things resonate. Uh, uh, such as, yeah. or we could just play it like an actual SmackDown. Like you know, yeah. my <laughs> show was better than your show. Um, these aren't in any particular order. This isn't a ranked list of like mm-hmm. one to ten or anything like that. So I'll start in the order I wrote it. Um, the first one that for me that stands out is uh, the Pink Unicorn, which was produced by uh, Northern Light Theater in 2015. Mm-hmm. Um, one woman show about uh, set in southern the southern USA about uh, a fairly conservative mom whose uh, child uh, comes out as genderqueer and starts a GSA or tries to start a GSA at uh, at school and the school doesn't understand and this mom just wants to understand her child and I she's kind of like the most lovable bigot um, <laughs> it was this wonderful and interesting script about understanding and, and this character who really you understand she's just trying to get to know her child and it's funny and it's uh, heartbreaking and uh, it does all these these beautiful things. I really uh, I found it very resonant. I still think about it, mm-hmm. um, uh, partly because all of that is quite pertinent today as mm-hmm. we look at sort of discussions that are happening in in the world. But uh, but thought it was just just lovely. Uh, Louise Lambert uh, played the uh, played the mother. Uh, great. Yeah. And they remounted it in Calgary later th- uh, earlier this year, and Eleanor Holt played the mother. Yeah, that's right. Um, yeah, yeah, and Trevor Schmidt directed that version in Calgary as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so I-, I guess I'll start on my list too. I kind of want to start. Should I start chronologically? I don't know. I'm, I'm like, I don't know. Jump around. Jump around. Time is a construct. Okay. Well, so since we were talking about a little bit about um, Northern Light Theater, I wanted to mention the fourth graders present an unnamed love suicide, which right. was in 2010. Yeah. So right at the beginning of the decade. 
Um, and I still remember scenes from this show. I remember the cast, like uh, just uh, all these adult actors playing fourth graders. Um, in the wake of trauma, yeah. putting on this play that their um, their classmate who had taken his life uh, was the last thing he wrote. And it's about them and their circumstance. And it's mm-hmm. quite a thing. Yeah. And it was I, I still I, I still remember Marianne Coppathorn, Jesse Gervais, Nadine Chu, Cole Humani in this show. Um, and and yeah, it just it, it stuck. It sticks. It still sticks there. So. Um, so, yeah. There's that one. Great. Uh, the next one on my list was Falling Awake, which was uh, produced by Wishbone Theater in 2011. Another one way back when. Uh, Wishbone is a company uh, run by Michael Payne, uh, Michael Ping, not Michael Payne, um, <laughs> and Chris Bulla. Uh, and it's sort of this Canadian script. It's this beautiful, strange, like almost magical realism, but more more realism. Um, and sort of maybe like the magic sort of is so grounded in things. It's um over a farmer's field, a plane explodes. And um, the farmer, uh, the two farmers uh, come out to investigate this husband and wife farmer uh, duo. Uh, and among all of the other wreckage that's fallen is um, uh, a young man in his seat. And he's still um, like strapped into his seat, uh, played by an actual actor. Um, so just sitting there and uh, as they wait for the police to arrive and sort of deal with this, Um, the mother starts bringing out things from the living room to make it almost less lonely for this, this character. And it sort of becomes you, you, you know, you go deeper into loss and, uh, their life and that, but it was just beautiful. I, I, just a gorgeous show. I loved it so much. Mm -hmm. I I do remember Jamie Kavanaugh playing the boy in that show with no lines, no movement, nothing. He just sat in the chair the entire time because the crash has already happened. But there's something about that. You couldn't play that with a mannequin. Like it has to be because there's this sort of magic to it all. There's, there has to be the possibility Mm -hmm. that he could get up. I think. Anyway, lovely. Love yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Beautiful show. Um, speaking of, uh, well, Jamie Kavanaugh and the kind of the, that whole sort of like era of the BFA uh, graduating classes that sure. were coming out around that like 2011, 2012. Um, the Good Women of Sichuan was one of the shows that really still stuck out with me. And it could have been, we mentioned this earlier, it could have been because it was right around the time that I started reviewing theater. Sure. And, you know, the kids in the BFA, as they come out and then, like, you know, have careers, uh, for the for like, for the last 10 years, you've sort of watched this graduating class. And the Good Women of Sichuan had... A cast, and that I think that particular graduating class is one that I found um, really memorable. And they've all, a lot of them have gone quite, quite far. Um, so, uh, so yeah, there was that. I thought that was uh, also one of the most visually memorable shows I've seen in a while, too. Right. Um, for me, this is uh, maybe my only musical um, Ride the Cyclone. Mm-hmm. Uh, not a local show. Uh, toured through the Citadel Theater is a show from Atomic Vaudeville out in Victoria. Um, a strange and wondrous musical set in small town Alberta um, where this class, these six like uh, high schoolers have uh, passed away on a, in a tragic roller coaster accident. But the sort of like a creepy fortune teller um, coin operated machine has come, al- come alive and they're sort of in this netherworld and they've been told that one of them will get to come back to life. And basically, so basically it's a bit of like a, a person by person. We sort of, they make their case to us, but very strange, really leans into all of its eccentricities. Um, even beyond that, um, as a premise, uh, really uh, just just a lot. Uh, the songs are strange and memorable. Everything from like 
um, beautiful sort of soaring ballads to like a weird space glam rock epic <laughs> about sleeping with cat people from another planet. Mm -hmm. So uh, there was a lot there. I love that mm -hmm. show. Uh, one of the only uh, Citadel shows that I had on the list was also a musical, Next to Normal. Mm. Uh, that was back in 2011. And it was kind of hot off of when it debuted on Broadway, I think in 08 or 09. Um, but also, this like, and uh, this is my like number one set design for this show. It was a glass house by, built by Corey Sinsens. The musical is about um, a mother who has bipolar disorder. Mm. There's a lot about mental health and a lot about how medication and everything affects things and it, how it affects your family. Uh, Rajon Cornier played the husband in this show. And it's kind of like a rock musical, but I remember how amazing the singing was uh, in those main roles. And Robert Marcus played the son and who's, you know, gone on to like super big things like Dear Evan Hansen and stuff now. So that was kind of another uh, big musical moment. I have much I have many more musicals on my list. <laughs> Great. Good. Good for you. Uh, I like musicals. I should. Uh, they just didn't make my list. Um, the next one uh, jumps back to studio theater for me. Uh, Pool No Water, which came out, uh, which was produced in 2013. It's um, it's a script sort of from the the British in your face theater sort of uh, group of playwrights, but it's uh, about these sort of artists, these very um, uh, self indulgent artists. I guess would be a uh, a way of putting it. Um, and one of them uh, is injured. Um, but ends up, uh, one of them comes into wealth, I guess. And it's sort of about this jealousy and, um, but it was very, very stylized. Nancy McAllier directed it. It was, uh, her MFA, uh, production. It had a great cast. Um, uh, yeah. And I just remember like the style of it. I remember coming into the theater and they're all already on stage sort of moving around and, uh, you know, which isn't, uh, which isn't a new convention, but it sort of set a tone right away that, um, really pulls you into these, these strange and shallow people, I guess, in this pool of no water, yeah. they are quite shallow. Interesting. In <laughs> um, let's see another musical that I had, I'm trying to like kind of go along the, the line of narrative, but we have no narrative. No, this is just a list show. Um, I think that, okay, I'll mention, uh, let the light of day through because that was another one yeah. that was like, I know that we've talked about, and I, and full disclosure, I was the general manager at theater network when this show was produced. Right, right, right. <laughs> Um, and it was the world premiere. And I think that we all kind of felt like something really special was happening when we saw the set being built <laughs> because oh, yeah. it has the biggest set reveal in the end of the show. Just gutting. <laughs> Just an incredible moment of like payoff uh, for these two grieving parents mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. uh, who are sort of like trying to keep their relationship alive in the wake of their their child's passing. Yeah. And yeah, oh wow, <laughs> I hadn't thought about that in a while. Okay, um, so yeah, that was Let the Light of Day Through by Colin Doyle. That was in Theater Network uh, in 2013. Cool. Ooh, um, 2014, uh, Theater Number no. 6 uh, produced The Fever, which is a Wallace Shawn script. Uh, it played at uh, RIP the Azimuth Theater, um, tiny little theater that doesn't exist anymore. And it's a one-hander uh, that really uh, explores sort of, um, I guess, the the fallacies of the West. It's sort of this this tourist, this person who's traveling around, this traveler, uh, sort of having a fever dream, but they're also sort of unpacking like their privilege in this way, um, which but like 
Wallace Shawn is such uh, an incredible writer. It's inconceivable how incredible her writer is. <laughs> I was bad. I'm oh, sorry. <laughs> but he, uh, the way he approaches that and works through it so methodically and mesmerizingly. Uh, and, and now this company has toured two different versions of the show. There's one where Melissa Finkelstad was the actor. Mm-hmm. That's the one I saw. They also did one where Ian Lung uh, would sort of do this show in your living room. You could book this show as a living room show. Um, and yeah, just as like as far as a powerful one hander that like pulls no punches and sort of confronts the audience about itself, um, which at the time I said like, and that's uh, bold to do at a time when theater is just trying to get people through the doors, mm-hmm. so to not to truly challenge people on sort of like their habits as people and as a society is uh, brave and was like deftly executed there. I went through a bit of when we were thinking about having the housewarming party for the house that we've bought, which you mentioned. Yeah. Um, I wanted to have someone come do the fever here, oh. uh, which would have been a little dark for <laughs> the party. Yeah. But anyhow, well, that's a good discussion afterwards. It uh, would have been. It would have been. Cool. All right. Um, I wanted to mention Pretty Goblins, which was a Beth Graham show yeah. um, that produced in 2018. Yes, it, it was, was Workshop West Playwrights Theater. Um, and yes, incredible performances in that show. Two sisters um, based on an older text by Christine, Christina Rossetti called Goblin Market. Uh, and just these two sisters um, kind of struggling through life, trauma, addiction, um, and just stellar performances again by um, Nadine Chu and Miranda Allen. I was like shaken coming out of this show. Mm-hmm. I, re- I remember we saw an afternoon matinee <laughs> and it was hard to have the rest of your day. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, cool. Uh, keeping on the Beth Graham train uh, on my list was the gravitational pull of Bernice Trimble, which is another Beth Graham script. Uh, Beth is a great playwright, everyone, uh, mm-hmm. which was produced by Theatre Network in 2014. Uh, is about uh, a mother-daughter relationship, I guess, um, sort of at the and and charting that. But there was such a stellar uh, performances. It's also uh, I have memories of that because it was one of the last shows I remember seeing in the Roxy. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, Rip the Roxy, summer or no winter of twenty fifteen. It something like that. It burned down. Maybe there is, but I have such a. When I see that play in my head, I I see that stage and that room and mm-hmm. all of those. All those things. Susan Gilmore plays the mother. Um, and uh, Patricia Zentili was also in that cast. Jason Chin was in that cast. It was it was great. It was a beautiful, uh, beautiful production. Um, they gotcha. Gotcha in all the right ways. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, all right. Next on my list, uh, I had Hadestown. Hadestown uh, in 2017. I think that the music in Hadestown kind of blew away a lot of the music that we've seen in musicals otherwise. <laughs> it's uh, incredibly unique. It was really special to have it here. And now look at it. Won all the Tonys last year. All the Tonys. Yeah, it was a uh, yeah, such a, a beautiful stylized performance. I was thrilled that I got to see the performance of the man who uh, played the Green Goblin in the Spider-Man musical <laughs> as, uh, as Hades. Um, it was, yeah, it was great. Uh, beautiful and and well executed and mm-hmm. thoughtful and stylized in a very cool way. Anais Mitchell it was the musician. It started as sort of a concept album and has grown to this Broadway uh, phenomenon. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, ooh, I had a, a jumping back to 2010 again, to the fringe of 2010, uh, Witness to a Conga by Teatro La Quindicina. 
um, which is, of course, Stuart Lemoyne's uh, company. He's the playwright in residence. It was his company. He formed it. Um, and, and Stuart does, uh, you know, has such a distinct style. And I think um, for me, this is one of the shows that, like, captures all of the best elements of his style. It mm. sort of starts with this this simple, almost irreverent um, uh, beginning of sort of these two people are getting married and they're trying to decide if they want to have a Congo, a Congo, uh, a Conga at their wedding or not. Um, and that leads through this sort of spiraling look through uh, family and, and life and, and joy and tragedy and all of these things. Mm-hmm. And it really encompasses so many uh, sentiments uh, in in this script in within within this style too that I think it's just a just a beautiful show I know they've remounted it since mm-hmm. um, but the 2010 one is the one I saw and the one that sort of sticks with me Andrew McDonald Smith was sort of our titular uh, protagonist not titular he's not in the title he's the wit- <laughs> name neither witness nor conga but uh, is the he is the, he is the witness though isn't he I I mean that depends on your perspective I don't remember but I th- this was my first uh, theatro show oh, my wow. first Stuart Lemoyne show um, and I don't know if I I must have reviewed it for the fringe than for maybe see at that point i don't know but um yeah that was my introduction to Stuart lemoyne and so it was um yeah it was it was a good one because it really does sort of like encompass everything that i've seen sort of of the teatro uh milieu sort of yeah. ever since totally Oh, that was yours. Yeah, okay, was so my turn. Um, I ha- I also had Fun Home, another musical. I thought that uh, this year's Fun Home was an incredible show for uh, Edmonton Company to pull off this musical so well, um, so beautifully performed by uh, Jeff Haslam and Jocelyn Alf. And yeah, I just... <laughs> I've, there's a special part in my soul for this musical too just with uh, like the relationship between a girl and her father uh, both trying to figure out who they are um, and not being able to really talk to each other about it and just like the lyrics in this musical are are freaking so well written they're visual they're they're yeah it's fantastic. I really loved Fun Home, you guys. <laughs> Great. The the next one on my list would be The Supine Cobbler by Jill Connell, um, uh, which was produced by The Maggie Tree um, and was was here in 2016. And it sort of like takes the the story of, of an abortion and, and gives it almost this mythic representation. It's sort of this Western. It's this very stylized uh, presentation of... of um, of of life and and this this thing that is this um issue but really is is a question that belongs to a person and really no one else um the person who's going through that and so i uh i love jill connell's plays um one that would have been on my list but is too early was in 2009 um there was a production of a show called the tall building which was uh doesn't fit in but Mm. i guess i'm talking about it now but was sort of like this beautiful and strange and perplexing show um, about a, a tall building sort of in this uh, post-apocalyptic future, but the people who live there and the the set was all built of scaffolding. It was great. So anyway, I think she um, takes really interesting looks at um, at the world around her and and the supine cobbler was was no exception in that case. I love that show. Mm-hmm. All of these things I'm ending by saying I love that show because I did. It's the best of the decade. Yeah, yeah. That was great. And I, I had one on my list. I actually have two on my list that are sort of combined because they're really big um, physical theater shows that right. Sheldon Elter was starring. Sure, right. um, and so one of them, uh, kind of going off your last one, was called Horses or Heroses. Horses. Yes. Um, which kind of sounds like Neuroses, which makes great sense. Um, but the subtitle was An Affront to Reason. It was a 2011 show with Sheldon Elter and Christy Hansen. Mm-hmm. 
in it um playing playing a couple going through different throes of their um and eras of a, a relationship and just and again sort of in this fairy tale sort of framework of like uh a minor and and someone from a, like just this this strange world was created yeah mm-hmm. yeah um the set design was by tessa stamp had an actual horse prop sort of thing in set piece in it which was just beautiful and just watching those two incredible movers um get around that get around that show was was fantastic um and uh, along with that I, w- I wanted to combine that with bears um the matthew mckenzie show um in its first incarnation in 2015 uh was my favorite one uh i really loved bryce kulak coming in as the mountie oh, yeah. i think oh, that fuck. i think that the choreography in that one by ainsley hilliard was um superlative like that one was the the first time you saw bears was like wow this is a cool kind of show. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, God, what else is on my list? Uh, I think that's the rest of my list sort of segues into dance now. So I think. OK, well, I just have two more quick little okay, ones then him. to mention. Um, uh, Onyegin, um, another favorite musical is kind of like a parlor musical. Mm-hmm. There's very small cast, really um, pretty songs, but also incredibly well-performed. Catalyst brought it here in 2018. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I just think it was really great for us to be able to see that show in Edmonton. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, really nice to see what you can do when you have a long time to work on a show. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I wanted to give a special mention, because we haven't said any Shakespeare, but I have to. I'm sorry. Wow. Um, the last Hamlet that the Free Will Shakespeare Festival did with Hunter Cardinal as Hamlet, mm-hmm. I thought was pretty close to the best Hamlet, best live Hamlet I've seen and really enjoyed it. And that Hunter Cardinal, he's going places. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. All right. Great. That was a a wonderful trip down theatrical memory lane. Um, And now we're going back to this podcast's roots. It's gritty roots in contemporary dance. (laughs) Uh, When we started this in what, 2013, 2014? Yeah, in November 2013 was our first couple of episodes yeah um do we want to do an ad first yes yeah how about we do that great this episode of i don't get it is brought to you by park power a provider of electricity and natural gas in alberta that offers low rates awesome service and profit sharing with local charities in alberta you get to choose who you buy your energy from if you choose park power your money stays here Plus, Park Power shares its revenue with local nonprofits that are working to make a difference in our community. If shopping local is important to you, think about making the switch. Learn more at parkpower.ca. All right. Dance. 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 Um, Back to 2020. Well, before 2013. Sure. <laughs> I guess uh, um, I don't have as many on this list as you. Mm-hmm. Um but uh, I guess I want to give a shout out to the Expanse Festival in general. I think um, uh, it was such a community driven. It is such a community driven um, and like cool uh, mix of, of what are local folks doing and also what's what are some very interesting movement shows um, from across uh, from across the country and, and beyond. Um, so I really loved a lot of the things in, in as we've been doing this podcast and when we were focused on dance, I always got excited for the Expanse Festival. I thought there'd be, always knew there'd be something there that would uh, perplex and delight me in equal mm-hmm. measure. Yeah, I find and uh, with the way, with who they bring in for Expanse and also the local presentations that end up happening at Expanse, I feel that it's markedly different from the dance that we see throughout the rest of the year. Mm-hmm. Um, and so in that way, it's a really um, a good opportunity 
to start watching dance, yeah. I guess. All right. Um, so we'll start. I'll start early then. Sure. I'll start back in 2010. Take us back. <laughs> this was um, this was a show that I've mentioned before. It's the first Kid Pivot show that I saw. It still um, sticks in my brain like... Every time I see an incredible thing, I was like, well, was that as good as Dark Matters? I don't know. <laughs> um, I think that um, even even 10 years ago, you know, like eight years before Betroffenheit happened, um, uh, Crystal Pite was making incredible work. And to be able to see it here, I think that um, I don't know if Dark Matter still tours. It may have kind of been like retired a bit, but it was um, it was a show really kind of about like a creator working on something and then the creation coming to life and it basically taking over. There was puppetry. There was mask work. The last half of the show was all dance. But watching the first half informed all of the movement that you would see in the second. So it was it was very theatrical. It was a very good narrative setup, essentially. But yeah, that show, I wouldn't I'd never forget that show similar to how never would never forget Betroffenheit um just the content of that show dealing with um the loss of uh children in a fire um and the you know torment that the main character goes through uh the Betroffenheit also created by Kid Kid Pivot just uh also you know like when does a Canadian dancer win an Olivier award Uh, you know this is that's that's just how big Betroffenheit was and her last show has won the revisor one as well um oh yeah it was created by um kid pivot crystal pite and jonathan young um and uh yeah just to see theater and dance and um all of the like sound design narration tricks all the things come together um and then to just end on these just moments of pure movement and dance that you the emotion just like sinks in is yeah incredible um so yeah kid Kid pivots stuff at the top of top of my list for the decade, really. Right. Uh, I'm gonna bring up one of the things we shared on our lists, uh, which mm-hmm. was uh, company uh, Marie Chouinard, which uh, came through town in 2015 uh, with a double bill: uh, Gymnopedes and uh, Movements. And Movements is the thing that mm-hmm. will stick with me for my life. It was sort of this. Uh, it was so simple, but so uh, effective in that it was this uh, book of calligraphy basically this um uh marie schwinard had found this book of calligraphy um and uh, an image one of those pieces of calligraphy would be projected on the screen and then a dancer or a group of dancers would make that with their bodies mm-hmm. it sounds so simple but oh my god to watch it happen and mm-hmm. all of these moments and like sometimes being like how are they going to make that and yeah. seeing them make that well this like kind of like metal soundtrack is playing yeah it was ve- it was very fast it was it was almost assaulting um and, and it was the, also because they're going through so many of these images you're not talking like 12 or something there's like oh. 84 or yeah. something of these images um and it was yeah it was very cool i also really liked gymnopedes that night um the music was by eric Satie, that very like you know kind of quintessential my dinner with andre music mm-hmm. um but uh yeah and seeing the dancers actually play that on a piano while they were doing the performance mm-hmm. uh was was incredible uh, marie chouinard just brilliant 
terrifying. I, I, I yeah, love that company. I, uh, I reread your cover story while I was looking up <laughs> on this, and I think you start with being like, "Oh no, I was three minutes late calling." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like the stress. Uh, and I imagined her eating Margie Gillis for breakfast, great. like because she was just so like, yeah. Um, but that that was yeah. I guess one of the favorite stories I've written too for yeah thinking back on our CNFU days. <laughs> uh, great. That was that was I guess one of ours both. But uh, what uh, what's next on your list? Um, well, another one that came uh, twice, actually, we saw we saw Native Girl Syndrome in 2014, and then it appeared again at Expanse in 2015. Um, this was a performance, I think that it was it was controversial uh, because it presents it presents um, indigenous women um, in, in, you know, kind of very sort of down and out circumstances, but also very. But the but the realism of it was just a little it, it, it was really hard to take, I think. Um, and um, and it was very affecting. Um, you see them, you know, like with these carts of, um, you know, like children's toys and clothes and garbage and stuff. And then just and just seeming just very destitute. Um, and, you know, and also there was some narration, too, um, about how um, about what they've lost um, and relationships. And, and yeah, it was I still just remember thinking, oh, my God, I can't believe like, yeah, it was it was really powerful. Yeah, it was a show that really um, didn't want you to look away in the way that you so often in life look away. It wanted to present something very real like it. It's in this category of dance shows. Really, the movement was very minimal and ultra realist, sort of as you were talking about. Um, it was just trying to present this um, this situation mm-hmm. and make you sit with that situation and think about that situation, mm-hmm. uh, which was very powerful. I remember we sort of like chanced onto the show. We heard about it like that week, yeah. and like one or both of us were both sick, but we went anyways. I think it was then, you, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I was I was super sick, but then was also like, whoa, like what is happening? And then it was really great that it came back for Expanse because more people saw it, and we there was more discussion about it afterward. Um, and I think that it. Was was, you know, it was an important show. And that choreographer now, Laura Kramer, um, Lara Kramer, uh, she's she's been working a lot more. Um, her stuff is touring a lot more, too. So I, re- I do hope we see more of Lara Kramer actually out there, too. Yeah. Here's someone I want to see more of. Um, Freya Olafsson uh, came through Expanse with a show called Hyper. Um, and that happened in uh, 2015. 2015, it was part of that. Um, and it was this beautiful combination of, of technology and projection and 3D glasses. Uh, at the time, I wrote, uh, holy shit, Hyper at Expanse Fest was Fifth Element meets Body Worlds meets a 90s YTV between show animation in, <laughs> in 3D. Oh, my God. <laughs> um, and that's what it was. It was so... It was. Um, we were we had been fairly new to the the podcast was quite young at that point still but um it was such an interesting exploration of what how can technology become part of a movement and and that situation in a way that um, makes both of them sort of bind together in new and exciting ways. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I don't think I saw that one. I was doing something that yeah. night for, from Expanse. Well, but I, I have yet to see a, a Kid Pivot show. So there so you here go. We are. You know, um, another show. I think I don't. I don't think that you saw this one with me, but I remember talking to you about it on the mm-hmm. podcast. Was the Northwest Dance Project yeah. company from Portland? So this was the first time that I saw a company do the Gaga dance, like Gaga form, like sure. where it's just like very sort of like improvised and loose and fun and it had oranges in it I remember oranges rolling across the stage which was crazy 
Um, and it also had this duet by Sarah Slipper where the dancers choose how to end this sort of romantic piece. And I remember talking about it on the podcast. I couldn't even do it because yeah. I kept crying because <laughs> yeah. it was so beautiful. Um, just knowing that uh, in the end, even thinking about it now, fuck. <laughs> yeah, 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 like it was just incredible to see this like improvised moment of like either loss or love and you don't know what's going to happen um that night in the theater and the man the performers in that were amazing i remember she ha- she was wearing this apron and she had flour in the pockets mm-hmm. and she would just let it run through her fingers and it was just this most incredible visual moment and so sad <laughs> okay i'm done right, <laughs> right, cool um i think um uh i think this was the 2016 version um but uh good women dance collective do convergence every year it's sort of their showcase of usually uh, a guest as well as their own and and the version i think i'm thinking of uh was uh, where they featured uh vancouver's justine chambers doing choreography with them um uh, and also they had uh, Stephanie uh, Morin-Robert from For Body or Light was sort of mm. the guest uh, that year. And I, yeah, I think um, it's always an interesting showcase of of uh, what good women have been working on and sort of who uh, who they are seeing out there in, in the dance community. And I remember this one sort of landing, uh, landing with a thud. It was sort of the one that also featured um, uh, Richard Lee and was sort of about, kind of about the world and a lot of its issues and problems. There was a lot of text in it, maybe more than, um, it would be, but some fun games with text and sort of language itself sort of became a bit of a dance in, in this show, uh, as well as the movement itself. Cool. Um, another local mainstay, uh, Mile Zero Dance, one of my top 10 was Chotel. Oh, yeah. uh, Chotel was in 2014. Oh, it was an installed show throughout the Aurora Hotel in the West End. Um, oh my God, there are scenes from this show that I will never forget, like Jerry Marita climbing up um, wall between walls in a hallway yeah. um, or in, a, in an entranceway of one of the suites. And you, it was kind of a, not summertime, but you could walk the Aurora Motel is all on one level Mm -hmm. so you walk outside and you pop into the different rooms and see these different scenes and another scene was um jen mesh in like you know she's kind of has like a trucker character (laughs) someone who has drove highway 63 a lot yeah yeah and she's sitting in tidy whities talking about something talking about lobsters there was a lobster in the room there was also a double bass player or or bassoon player Um, in the room Ooh, there yeah there was a big uh big sax allison um I forget her name, but yes. Yes, yeah, yeah. That was that was that was a fun show, show tell. Oh, I like still remember that one sure. for sure. Um, I'll jump back to uh, Expanse again. Um, love that festival. Uh, also, 2015, same year as Hyper. Um, Fabulous Beast by uh, Rebecca Sodden um, was part of a. It was a shorter piece, um, and it's sort of her interpreting all of these statues. Um, yeah, yeah, with with these faces, and I just remember it being this um, uh, Rebecca Sodden just being this incredibly expressive performer, um, and how she would interpret these, and how quickly they could change in like a full body and and face, and um, uh, sort of set to this music that sort of uh, kept it going and kept it rolling through. So so that sort of um, the images of that show stay with me quite a bit. Yeah, yeah, I I remember her face during that show a lot uh, because it was the most it was the most choreographed facial work that I think I've seen outside of like traditional Indian dance. Right, right. <laughs> very expressive, but also very like frightening and and like super varied. Um, not just sort of like the difference between like yes, I'm acting while I'm dancing, but no, she actually no. embodied these um, interesting masks and statues and things. Very cool. Um, 
Paul Taylor Dance Company. Um, it was kind of like it's kind of sort of like a bucket list dance thing. Um, I and I, you know, I never really knew much about Paul Taylor until the show came here in 2015. I brought by Alberta Ballet as part of their season, and um, and it might have been also brought by Brian Webb too. But in any case, being able to see a classic dance like Esplanade, um. I see how I and I see it referred to in so many other dances now. And so I think it was kind of like to see a seminal contemporary dance piece like that was sort of, you know, it's, you're lucky that it still gets produced yeah. and that it is still preserved in the way that it is through his company. Um, and, and and since we've seen that show, I will see things that I think now I'm like, that's like Paul Taylor or this is sort of like a callback a little bit, you know, like. It's 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 neat being able to kind of like enhance your understanding because you know more about the history of where this type of um, either choreography or structure of a dance has come from. Um, and so I thought I, I thought the Paul Taylor Dance Company was pretty cool. Great. Um, I'm running low. Keep going. Uh, if you got a few more on your list. OK, I wanted to mention Ancestors and Elders, um, the Shumka show that was um, presented in collaboration with Running Thunder Dancers. I just think that it was a really important production to see and also an opportunity. You know, in Edmonton, we have all these great opportunities to see Ukrainian dance um, but we never a lot of times we don't really get to see indigenous dance on a main stage to see these two companies on the main stage with number one they had the narrative story but then there's that second half where there was so much dance like you got to see a grass dance and you got to see you know like in full and it was um, sorry, the regalia and everything it was it was just a, a chance to see something that I think that was really important for that audience watching Shumka to see um, and so I wanted to mention it. Great. Uh, I had one more um, from uh, last season, uh, the Brian Webb Dance Company. Uh, Paul Andre Fortier's final oh, performance, yeah. uh, solo uh, solo seventy, um, was like we watched the last performance this person who's sort of been a figure in uh, Canadian dance uh, will ever do um, his sort of goodbye. And and uh, but it it was just um, it didn't feel very like. Um, nostalgic um it was just it was about the work um mm. and it was he sort of had these two guests who would do sort of text and music as well um and there was just this little moment at the end where he sort of like paused for half a second before walking off the stage that was like oh yeah ooh. yeah yeah it's just um, like this you know like it's a special thing you know that you're there for this and like this will never happen again it was yeah that was it that was an incredible piece too i remember coming out of it thinking like wow we're lucky that we got to see that, mm -hmm. you know? We're lucky that we get to see everything, but... Yeah. <laughs> um I wanted to mention also Justine Chambers came uh, to Mile Zero, Mile Zero season in 2017 with a piece called Family Dinner. This was actually two evenings to work towards the performance. The first evening you go to someone's house, mm -hmm. you have dinner with the performers mm -hmm. and the audience that is going to be there. Um, and the... The things that happen at that dinner are used to inform the movement that happens in the performance two or three days later. Yeah. And so this was incredible to just like be part of the dinner, watch a dance being created, also trying to decipher what's going on yeah. and like what they're taking from what you're doing right. or saying, things like that. There was, um, you know, I've never really sat across the table from Jesse Gervais before and had dinner, but I was watching him during the show being like, I saw things that you saw all evening. So I want to know what fed into the performance. Right. Yeah. Um, and it was just, it was just a really incredible experience to have, um, to be 
kind of part of it, but not really. Also, just to be able to sit back and be audience afterward and um, and yeah, just kind of like chew on how it all got to that point, yeah. <laughs> I guess. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Great. And then you have you have sort of like a, to, to cap off your list here is sort of like not so much a show, but a, but a performer. Yeah. So um, Ina Gutierrez was one of the principal dancers with Alberta Ballet between um, 2010 and 2019. So this is exactly this decade that we're talking about. Um, and she uh, she came from uh, the Cuban National Ballet um, and pretty much off the bat. I remember watching Alberta Ballet thinking, wow that dancer is amazing she it's hard to keep your eyes off her when she's on stage since the, you know in those 10 years she played an incredible amount of roles but she of course really brought Alberta Ballet's game up where it came to presenting the classics like Giselle, like Sleeping Beauty. She played Juliet beautifully. Um, she was in Swan. She I think this is my own opinion. She's, I think, the reason why Alberta Ballet pulled off Swan Lake. Right. When, <laughs> um, but that's, you know, that's probably an exaggeration. But um, they're doing Swan Lake again this, this coming season without her. So, <laughs> um, but yeah, but she was also, it was interesting to see her um, evolve in the contemporary roles that were in that company too. Like um, in the Sarah McLachlan Ballet, which was called Fumbling Towards Ecstasy. And in the Katie Lang piece, she plays sort of like the Katie Lang character. And in the last one that uh, that they did also um, the, with the tragically hip uh, right, stuff, right, she yeah. she was quite the interesting character in that one, too. So, yeah, it was just like she's a fantastic dancer. I feel really lucky that we got to watch her for 10 years um, through Alberta Ballet. And that's uh, that's kind of what I wanted to. Yeah. So not one Alberta Ballet show, but just Ina Gutierrez sure. for 10 years. Right. I mean, amazing. <laughs> Cool. Well, that's that's ten years of, of theater and dance as as we saw them. Yeah. What a thing. What a mix. Um, there are like there are more shows. These were sort of the ones we we talked about. But I think about other stuff sort of like percolates up every so often, or you know, in three months I'll be like, I can't believe I forgot this yeah. in my list, right? Yeah. But that's ten years of shows. Yeah. Well, and one of them that was uh you know I it was it was one year earlier, but Buddy at Theater Network. I had this like flash last night. I even woke up and I was like, oh shit, I have to add Buddy to my list. And I googled it on my phone in the middle of the night. I was like, oh, 2009. It's okay. We'll be okay. Go back to bed. Same with like the Tall Building. Like there were some yeah. shows that are like just on the cusp of of one or the other. Or or earlier before this, we were talking about. Um, from that same studio theater season as The Good Woman of Sejuan, like Black Comedy mm-hmm. uh, was an incredible showcase for that class as well, but it was in the first half, technically 2009. Yeah. Uh, but here we are talking about it anyways. Because, uh, you know, this, this sort of list is really just like looking at like the things that stood out for us. And yes, that's within like a time frame, but also it's like, well, what art stays with you? Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's from a phenomenal show that tip to tail rules, and sometimes it's like an image. An yeah. image from something that you may have forgotten the rest of, but mm-hmm. it's still something about that connected with you in an, in an interesting way. Yeah, yeah. Like that moment before intermission of Dark Matters where the one dancer drops the mannequin on the lighting grid and you're like, holy fuck, did that, is that a dead person? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Cool. yeah. Anyway, um, yeah, well, so that's where I mean, we're feeling pretty nostalgic, I guess, this time of year. You you know, we've we've got that other thing that we've been working on. Yes. So that makes us feel yes. super nostalgic about everything. Yeah. 
tale of two weeklies podcast series a limited run podcast series just seven episodes about the history of of c magazine and view weekly edmonton's two uh now r.i.p non-existent uh alternative weekly newspapers uh that were founded uh in a bitter rivalry and fought for 10 years longer um fought for about 15 years and uh and neither of which are no longer with us but uh we missed something and uh, those conversations. And we both started at those papers. And Andrew, our, our producer, started at those papers. And uh, and that taught me how to watch art. Being involved with those papers taught me how to experience art and think about art. Um, and and so uh, they're important to me. Yeah. Yeah. And what was sort of hard about even coming up with this list and thinking about it was that before we started the podcast, um, there's now no record of what we wrote about for C and View. Um, the the websites are are gone. So mm-hmm. you know, like it's uh, unless we go through back, uh, like through all of our physical clippings. Mm-hmm. Um, I had to really kind of like find ways to jog my memories through like old emails and stuff. I was like, what was that show called, or what year yeah, was that? You know, yeah. some of the mm-hmm. details are now like harder to track down, or yeah. So yeah tricky but uh that story is uh now contained in seven episodes a uh, ton of interviews with people who are on all sides of that um uh it's fun it's great it's sad uh there's a lot there website website uh tale of two yeah great um but that brings us to maybe uh time for another ad fonda because you got to pay for what you love <laughs> This episode of I Don't Get It is brought to you with a special message from Alberta Health Services and some delightful kids discussing when it's the right time to go to the emergency room. We ask these children if they know when to go to emergency and when there are other options. If you got in a car accident or like having trouble breathing, I would go to emergency if I had a really bad hockey skate cut on the neck. They're there to treat people that are really sick or really hurt. If you have an emergency or if you're not sure, we're here to help. Know your options. Call HealthLink at 811 or visit ahs.ca slash options. All right, so that was our decade in review, everyone. So, uh, yeah, what's what's kicking off the next decade, Fonda? What's bringing us into the next 10 years of, of art in the city? Yeah, first up on the schedule, we have Relocate, um, which is a mile zero presentation of three different pieces. Um, that's running January 10th and 11th at Spazio Performativo. Right, uh, then we have Everybody Loves Robbie, uh, an Ellen Chorley script being presented by Northern Light Theatre at the ATB Arts Barns from January 10th until the 25th. And the cost of living kicks off at the Citadel Theater from January 11th running to February 2nd. Um, and so that's that's what's happening in the early in the early 20s. Yeah, the <laughs> roaring 20s. And, uh, you know, if you uh, think about your last 10 years of art that you've seen and uh, leave some comments on whatever social media site you're taking in this podcast from and tell us what uh, stood out for you over the past decade, what shows or images stuck with you in theater or dance or, or whatever your, your medium. Yeah, yeah, that's a great idea. Do you have any um, resolutions around seeing art in the next year, Paul, or in the next decade? Oh, resolutions about seeing art. Um, uh, I guess uh, one thing is uh, the older you get uh, and the more rooted in your own nostalgia you get, um, <laughs> it becomes very easy to just um, compare things with what you've already seen. Because um, 10 years is a lot of art. Um, uh but I think to try and uh, continue to uh, just go into shows openly and try and uh, understand them for what they are. I always thought um, uh, 
Uh, someone once told me that, and I can't actually find this, so I don't know if it's true, um, but one of those old sort of Greek theater philosopher scholars um, had this thing about criticism where um, good criticism will tell you three things. It will tell you um, uh, what the artists were trying to do. It will tell you uh, whether they succeed or not in doing that. And it will tell you uh, whether that is worth it. Um, and so I guess to try and go into every show openly with those three questions is, is what stays on my mind. What about you, Fonda? What's your uh, art watching resolution? <laughs> I have a really specific one, and it's to watch more um, theater in French. Wow, great! Yeah, yeah, or other languages that are out there too. Um, yeah, because oh. I think that it's uh, it's it's important. <laughs> yeah, that makes me wonder. Um, I don't know if this was 2010 or not. Uh, if this makes our decade cut off, but there was a show called Garage Alec uh, mm. that played, um, and it was about uh, I don't even remember who presented it, but it, I think it. Ah, um, but it was about uh, this English uh, English Canadian woman who is driving through rural Quebec, and her car breaks down, and her um, she gets it to a mechanic who only speaks French, mm. and it's the show is sort of their dynamic and learning to understand each other. And it is a bilingual show. Um, uh, I believe Brian Dooley was the mechanic. And I, I remember watching it and being like, especially when it sort of builds to crescendo, you're like, I understand this. Yeah, I, I know exactly what's happening. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe I'm not getting the word, but I'm getting the emotion and the feeling and the mm -hmm. performance and, and the story is still coming through, which was connected to that. Cool. Uh, I resolved to finally watch The Sopranos, Fonda, so you and Andrew will get off my back about it. Thank God, Paul. Jeez. Okay. Um, well, so again, thank you everyone for listening to I Don't Get It this time. And, and if you've listened for the last few years that we've been doing this, thank you. Thank you also. It is the end of the year. Um, it is, you know, time of giving, I guess. So if you feel like sending us money through Patreon, please do that. Or even, you know, give us a nice review on Apple Podcasts. That's all. That's also nice too. Yeah. Great. Well, thanks everyone. Um, yeah. Tell us what you liked in 10 years of, of art and, uh, have a good new year and uh, a safe new year and uh, go see some shit. <laughs> Bye. I Don't Get It is a member of the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB. You can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or check us out on albertapodcastnetwork.com or the CKUA radio app. I Don't Get It is recorded on Treaty 6 territory in Edmonton, Alberta, in the Edmonton Community Foundation's podcast studio. Our theme music is Mountain Time by Ghibli, and you can find more of Ghibli's music by going to ghibli.bandcamp.com. I Don't Get It is produced by Andrew Paul, Fonda Mithrush, and Paul Blenoff. Sit here thinking, I love